0: you set yourself apart and rise above your competition in the dog-eat-dog world of business to business sales so that your sales prospects buy from you instead of them? That's what we're going to find out today with my special guest, company growth and strategic marketing expert, Keith Pegues.
1: She's a respected and trusted business advisor, an Ivy League business expert, best-selling author, and no-nonsense lawyer. She's Hannah Hassel-Kelchner.
0: Whether you're an entrepreneur or an intrapreneur working for someone else, I want to give you the inside scoop on how to ignite more business success by doing the right things in the right way. Because no one likes getting blindsided by what you don't know, but somehow should, or getting stuck paying for it later. Think of it as a mini-MBA and school of hard knocks wrapped in one and on steroids.
1: This is Business Confidential Now with Hannah Hassel-Kelchner. Brought to you by Business M-O-L-L-C.
0: Keith Pegues has more than 25 years of experience in marketing, strategic planning, and sales leadership at firms ranging from the Fortune 100 to mid-market private equity-backed firms. It's experience that spans a number of different industries and includes executive C-suite leadership positions in marketing and strategy. He's also served as a tenured professor of management and dean of the School of Business and senior academic and administrative officer at North Carolina Central University. He's also co-authored the book, Winning with Customers, a playbook for B2B. That's what we're going to be focusing on today. To top it all off, Keith is also an experienced board member, currently serving on the board of directors of the Office of Mortgage Settlement Oversight and the Research Triangle Foundation. With such an impressive background, it's no wonder he's a thought leader and widely sought-after speaker and advisor on company growth and strategic marketing. His accomplishments and contributions in business have been recognized by Bestseller TV, the C-Suite Book Club, Inc., and many more. Plus, in 2011, Black Enterprise Magazine named Keith as one of its top executives in marketing and advertising. So it's such a privilege and honor to have him here today. Welcome to Business Confidential Now, Keith.
1: Thank you, Hannah. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Well, it's super to have you here. You've got such an amazing background, a wide variety of experiences, holding very senior positions in the corporate sector, working in a variety of industries, and then academia, and not just teaching, but being the dean of a business school. You know, it's just such a kaleidoscope of experiences. How does that contribute to your work today?
1: Well, Hannah, you know, uh, it's interesting. As I think about the the various opportunities I've had uh, in my career, you know, they all Come together and and really help frame my thinking around the work that I do. You know, starting with my early work experience in my teens. In fact, working with my father, who was an entrepreneur in his tire and fish businesses, and then you know an engineering degree and you know co-op and intern ship experiences in, in the technical realm, and then moving to what I really discovered as my passion, um, working in sales for IBM and Hewlett Packard. You know, earlier in my career. Um, You know, those kinds of things really kind of began to shape my thinking about business and the work that I do now. And then as you mentioned earlier, you know, working in academia as a a professor and then a business school dean um, and really understanding how to develop thought leadership uh, and then on to serving as a senior marketing executive in four different companies they really contributed to me co-authoring the book, uh, Winning with Customers, because I'd had those various exp- experiences as a, an early practitioner, working in a technical field, working in the sales field, uh, and then working as a senior executive, You know, really guiding and leading organizations trying to implement these kinds of things on a sustainable basis around the world in multiple business units. Um, So it gives me a unique unique perspective um, that I think has really helped me to understand all of the aspects required for a company to win with its customers.
0: So let's talk about the book. What inspired you to write that? I mean, you must have seen some kind of need, and certainly you had a full plate (laughs) coming into this. What problems were you trying to solve here with your book? Tell me about that.
1: Well, it was clear, uh, as my co-author and I, um, you know, in our various lines of work, um, had seen uh, organizations over and over again struggle with this opportunity to really separate themselves from their competitors. And a number of things had been tried. And, and we were just convinced that most of the, the tools available and the approaches available were qualitative. And that's good. But in the B2B realm, uh, which is really where uh, I focused and what the book is addressing. At the end of the day, in that relationship, what the two companies really care about is whether or not they are exchanging value in a way that makes them better off financially. So uh, after speaking at a number of conferences and writing a number of papers, it was clear that if we were gonna get more and more people in the needed information to improve their value propositions, move from just the qualitative assessment but to bring in quantification, And to make the insights actionable, we had to put this in the book, which is why we call it a playbook. So it's winning with customers a playbook for B2B. And it's really a tool that helps people they can keep on their desk and keep nearby as they're making these decisions.
0: So let's talk some more about the value proposition.
1: You know, uh, the value proposition is interesting. I, I like to say that the value proposition really is a business's currency. I mean, it really determines how well you uh, perform as a business. And it also is a way for you to measure how well you're doing versus your competitors. So the way I think about this is the value exchange. When two companies get together and decide to do business, most of the time what we find is that they focus on the products, the product features, the service, the service features, right? And and those are important. But at the end of the day, what that customer is really thinking about is not the product or the service and its features, but they're thinking about how those products and services really result in me achieving the goals and objectives that I have. And those are typically quantitative. So I want to know, is your product or service going to help me do something faster or better or less expensively? And then help me understand the real financial impact. So in dollars and cents, is it going to help me increase my, my, um, uh, my sales acceleration by, by 6%? Is it going to help me reduce my cost by 5%? And so the value proposition really has to be qualitative to clearly articulate what you do differently from the next guy but it also has to be quantitative to help prove, if you will, to your customer how it's going to impact their business operationally and financially. So that's, again, why I say the value proposition is your currency as a business, and you have to understand it.
0: So what approaches can companies use to improve the value proposition? I mean, isn't it difficult to quantify some of these things for companies because you may have a fabulous product or service, but if they don't use it properly, they're not going to get the full benefit.
1: You know, what I like to say is that it's simple, but it's not simplistic, okay? And as we outline in the book, you know, here's how it works. You know, when you think about what it is you do for your customers, we ask you to think about it. Write a list. You know, what are the things that you do for your customer that you really believe brings value? Maybe your your service. It may be your product quality. It may be the timeliness of your response to solve problems. It may be, you know, the knowledge of your sales force, et cetera. But then we ask you to think the next step, you know, we challenge you to identify a subset of those things that you think truly provide what we call differential value. That is, as a result of this subset of things that you provide to the customer, the customer gets a differential benefit from your offering versus the offering provided by your closest competitor. Then we answer probably the most critical question, which is, you know, where specifically can you measure that impact? And you, you asked that question about the difficulty of measuring. Um, it can be done, but it has to be intentional. So we ask, what are the specific measurable operational and financial improvements that your customer receives from the things that you do? And I used that example earlier, right? And And why is that important to the customer? So it requires a level of work on the part of the supplier, if you will, that many companies previously may not have engaged in, because at the end of the day, it's not the customer who really should measure the financial and operational impact of the product or service you provide. It really is the responsibility, we believe, of the person selling the product or service to be able to do that. And when you do that well, you provide opportunities to sell more, get higher prices, because you've proven the value of your offering.
0: But don't you have to be careful that it doesn't turn into some kind of a guarantee?
1: Uh, Absolutely. And so the way that these conversations take, we we call these validation discussions, and their discussions really shaped uh, uh, in such a way that it's an opportunity for the two companies to get together to talk about how they win together. And it goes like this. Hey, here's what we think we do that provides value for you. Here's what we've done over the last 12 months, for example. Here's how we think it's impacted your business. Here are the operational improvements we've helped you to make, and here's how we believe that's turned into money for you in the form of a revenue increase or cost reduction. And we ask a simple question, what do you think? So it's not a selling discussion. It really is an opportunity to get together to partner and collaborate with your, your customer and to get some validation. So you're not making guarantees or you're not making promises. You're really saying, here's my perspective. I've done a lot of homework you know, that, that leads me to this perspective, so I feel pretty good about it. But I recognize that it's only my perspective. I'd like to have yours.
0: Can you give me an example of this process in, in action with a particular a case that you have maybe worked with before?
1: Sure. And in fact, in the book, uh, Winning with Customers, a playbook for B2B, we include Owens Corning as a case study throughout the book. And there are several specific examples of the results from using the approach, but one of my favorites is the use of the differential value proposition to determine that training provided to the sales staff at Lowe's, uh, their customer, was one of the greatest contributors to Owens Corning's roofing shingles business growth during that time. And it's really interesting because while Owens Corning's competitors provide a lot of things of value, given, o- given Lowe's challenges in acceleration of sales in the building products and building materials space, and particularly with roofing shingles, what they learned was that because Owens Corning provided expertise in training the floor sales staff at Lowe's, Lowe's was able to sell more of Owens Corning's roofing shingles products by far than any other provider. And the reason for that was because the sales floor staff was so knowledgeable about the Owens Corning's roofing shingles products. They were more comfortable and they were more capable of selling those products. Now, you might have thought that, oh, it's the quality of the products, it's the durability, it's the warranty. And while all of those things may have contributed some value, clearly it was the value of having trained salespeople on the floor, which really drove a significant value from the customers, from Lowe's perspective. And that was a big aha and a big insight. And it resulted in both parties winning together.
0: Because the Lowe's sales force really was an extension of Owens Corning's.
1: Absolutely. 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 And when a consumer walked in or a roofing contractor walked in and asked, you know, do you have a recommendation for me of a roofing shingle product that we should use on this job? Because Owens Corning had done a superior job of training the low sales staff versus, you know, the training provided by Owens Corning's competitors, it put Owens Corning at a very, very strong
0: competitive advantage. Do you know how Owens Corning ha- happened to have that aha moment in order to provide that additional training?
1: Actually, they did the work uh, as outlined in our book, and that's why. And we actually um, used them as a case because they'd gone through utilizing this process. So, as I mentioned before, you know they, they went in and had the conversation with Lowe's about all of the things that they thought were really delivering value. That was whittled down to a subset of things that uh, that Lowe's suggested were delivering more value. Um, than others, Uh, and then they were able to discern, okay, this truly is the thing that's driven value. And then they were able to continue to invest in that area more and more over time to to build upon their, their competitive advantage in that area.
0: And having a good working relationship, I would imagine, with Lowe's in order to get the feedback from Lowe's to say, yes, you really are impacting our numbers in a favorable way so that they had the quantification.
1: Absolutely. And in fact, what they learned was that after they'd they'd begun that process with Lowe's, they began going back on an annual basis, and the relationship just continued to strengthen because it was a different kind of conversation. That's not the kind of conversation they typically had. Uh, the, the, The previous conversations were the conversations like, you know, you've heard them before, what's keeping you up at night, what problems can we help you to solve, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But this is a very different question. In fact, it begins with a statement a well-informed statement, here's how we believe we're delivering differential value to you versus our next best competitor. We're doing A, B, C, and D. And here specifically is how we think each of these is delivering value, how they're impacting your operations, and then ultimately how they're impacting your financials. What do you think? That's a very, very different approach.
0: I like that. I mean, it's, it's very subtle, but it's a way of partnering that is different from the traditional sales process. Now why do you think that's more effective in the B2B space as compared to business to consumer?
1: Well, it, it's interesting because you, when you really think about business to consumer versus business to business, the thing that really is different, well first of all, there's some similarities. The similarities uh, are that you know organizations are trying to grow and grow their profits and they work with customers or suppliers to do that. So that's the same. What's different, though, is in a pure B2B relationship, what we're talking about is two companies working together. And there are things that you can measure when two companies are working together that you can't measure when a company is working directly with an individual consumer. So, for example, if I am selling chewing gum uh, as a chewing gum manufacturer, right, or as a consumer packaged goods company, Ultimately, I can't quantify in financial or economic terms what benefit that chewing gum is bringing to Hannah as a consumer of that gum. There are lots of other factors that are considered when you're purchasing that gum, and some are quantifiable, some are not. Okay? There are lots of other factors. However, if I am a chewing gum manufacturer and I'm selling my product to the grocery store chain, say Kroger, right? Before it then is purchased by Hannah from Kroger, I can understand in that relationship with Kroger specifically how my product, my service, my inventory levels, my availability, the the quality of my salespeople, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, how all of those things impact Kroger's ability to sell more and to sell more profitably versus the other chewing gums that they have at their disposal so there are things that you can measure in that part of the value chain where two companies are working together that you cannot measure where there's a direct relationship between a company and the end consumer individual consumer and so our focus really is where those two companies come together in the b2b relationship
0: that's interesting So what are the biggest factors that a company would need to focus on when improving their value proposition and setting themselves from the competition? Could you give us a a few?
1: Sure. Well, there are are a few things. Um, I think one of the most important factors is a company's success, and a company's success in doing this is really its willingness to take the time to truly understand the value it delivers to customers versus competitors. And as I say that, there may be listeners that are saying, "Will we do that. Well, I contend that people be, do that on a cursory level, but I'm not sure that many organizations really go to the depth and the extent to do that in a way that's most valuable. It requires a level of rigor in truly measuring the operational and financial impact, not only the qualitative understanding, which is where I think a lot of companies focus, but it requires rigor in understanding the The operation and financial impact. It also requires a level of humility among the business leaders to be willing to listen to customers and remain open to the possibility that they don't know as much about the value they deliver to customers versus competitors as they may think. And then lastly, I think it takes the courage to really take action on what they learn because learning getting these insights learning where you're truly delivering differential value and by the way where you're not right it takes the courage to make the changes necessary to optimize your value proposition to continue to win with customers uh, in a way that your competitors can't and that requires change
0: and change is hard sometimes because it might mean admitting a mistake or that what you've done is suboptimal so i, I appreciate Absolutely. that yeah
1: Absolutely. Which is one of the reasons why we continue with our, with our clients and as I speak and as I, you know, I, I share with people, this is really not about being right. It's about being rigorous. And what I mean by that is, as I'm thinking about what I do for my customers and what's differential about it and how it impacts their business, my goal is not to be right because I know I'm not going to be right because I don't walk in my customer's shoes every day. But what I can do is to be rigorous in developing my perspective, my point of view, qualitatively and quantitatively, and then sit down very humbly with my customer and ask, what do you think?
0: Well, the marketplace is voting with its dollars, so you know ultimately that is telling you what you're doing right and if you follow your suggestions you could be doing even better because you're in a better position to explain your value proposition and what you bring to the party so that that just brings more success now if i'm a small business or a startup with limited resources it it may be tough to be as rigorous as an owens corning so where would you recommend someone like that start What steps should they take
1: yeah, well, I think um, this this approach can be taken, you know, by, by a one-person startup, and it can be used, you know, by a Fortune 100 company. And as you mentioned, you know, the level of resources available will determine the degree to which you can be as rigorous or uh, as comprehensive in your in the work. Uh, but I think it's equally valuable for a one-person startup. Uh, if you could pick a few customers or prospective customers and really spend the time thinking about what you're gonna deliver that's different from the other options they have. And if you could begin to think very simply, how is it going to impact their business, in what area and in what way? And doing the best simple estimates possible. Again, rigorous enough for you to sit down and have a conversation. It will be amazing what you'll find. And honestly, I always ask the question, if an organization can take the time to develop a product or service and go out and sell it to a customer or prospective customers, surely they should be able to make the time to have a conversation to ensure that what they're selling is of greatest value possible.
0: These steps are all outlined in your book, Winning with Customers, a playbook for B2B sales?
1: Yes. Yes. And again, it was written as a playbook. So there's um, enough information for an individual to read the book and to to go out and put it into practice. And that was our our goal in writing the book, for people to be able to do that. And so that that would make us happy.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure. And I'm sure having more success in terms of making B2B sales would make listeners happy as well. Where could they find your book, Keith?
1: Uh, You can find it on Amazon.
0: Okay, wonderful. Well, we're also going to have a link to it on our episode page with the show notes at businessconfidentialradio.com. So make it easy for listeners as well. It's really interesting how you came to this process, which always makes me want to know a little bit more about your evolution. Certainly, you have had a lot of interesting work experiences. You know, The corporate setting is very different from academia. But I'm wondering, are there any particular books, people, or events that have influenced your thinking over the years, Keith? Do you have an influencer you could share with us?
1: Yeah, so there have been a, been a number of people who have influenced me. I've been greatly influenced by the work of uh, Ellie Goldratt, um, who wrote the book The Goal and, and the book It's Not Luck. Um, both of those those pieces of work were influential uh, early in my career at, because he was really focused on the theory of constraints. And the It's Not Luck version of, of his book in that area really helped to think about how you apply this to, to business and commercial operations beyond just you know, um, manufacturing. Uh, but probably the greatest influencer was my dad. You know, my dad was a successful entrepreneur, and I began working for him when I was just a teen. And the thing that I learned in working in my dad's business is he had a tire business and a fish business. He really, really focused first and foremost on customers. And he knew things about customers and about their business, about their needs that just seemed amazing to me. But I recognized over time that it was systematic. He really took the time to understand the customer inside out before he began thinking about how to meet a need and it all the conversation always began about what the customer needs and what it and the customer needed and what it was worth to that customer so he was probably the greatest uh influencer and i've
0: had others along the way terrific well we're coming to the end here and i'm wondering if you had any parting thoughts for our listeners about b2b sales and marketing
1: Well, I I would say, you know, if you really want to grow your business and you want to grow your business profitably, ensure that you keep the customer's business at the center. And the way to keep the customer's business at the center is to regularly review your value proposition. Ask yourself the question, do my customers make more money doing business with me? Parenthetically versus the competition. We've got that, 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 question on the cover of our book, do your customers make more money doing business with you? That is the measure that matters at the end of the day. And I just challenge and ask your listeners to try and keep that uh, at the forefront of their mind in the midst of the daily operations of running the business. Come back and ask that question on a regular basis.
0: How regularly should they do that? Quarterly? Annually?
1: I think if you're thinking about individual customers, you certainly want to do it on an annual basis um, but i would I would offer as as often as is practical, but certainly you don't want to go you know beyond a year cycle without coming back and asking yourself about that you know asking yourself that question about the customer and then deciding what you're going to do you know in the following year to continue to make improvements uh, but ultimately, if you've got salespeople who are calling on your customers. They should be involved in that discussion on an ongoing basis. It should be really built into your organization. It shouldn't be an event, but it really should be the way that you operate your business.
0: should be part of your core values. I, I think that's that's excellent advice, and I I love the process that you've laid out here. You make it sound very simple and doable, but at the same time, the rigor that's required does mean that you have to take a deeper dive into things and and be systematic, so... This has really been fabulous and eye-opening. Thank you so much for your time today, Keith. I'm grateful for your powerful advice that you've shared with us and for all that you do. Thank you. My pleasure, Hannah.
1: Giving you the inside scoop on how to ignite more business success by doing the right things in the right way. Business Confidential Now with Hannah Hassel-Kelchner. Brought to you by Business LLC.
0: Thank you for joining me today on Business Confidential Now. You can get more information about today's guest and the resources we mentioned during today's show in the episode notes that are located on our website, businessconfidentialradio.com. Sometimes we even include some bonuses and goodies, so be sure to check it out. That website again is businessconfidentialradio.com. And also don't forget to subscribe to the show. That is the easiest way to keep up with the show and our guests, those thought leaders, experts, and authors who are transforming businesses behind closed doors around the world. Let them help you, too. Subscribe today for easy access to the business information you need to succeed. You know, the reason we call the show Business Confidential Now is because you don't have time to wait. So just do it. Subscribe now and leave a review. We want to hear from you. We want you to be part of our growing Business Confidential Now family. Tell your friends and colleagues so they can subscribe too. Because the more subscribers we have, the more great guests we can bring you. And the more business intelligence you'll have available to ignite and fuel your continued business success. Have an idea or a topic, a guest that you'd like to hear on Business Confidential Now? Contact me at the website, businessconfidentialradio.com. And connect with me on social media, too. We'd love to hear from you and stay in touch. Next week, Business Confidential Now with Hannah Hazel-Kelchner will be back with more of the business intelligence and inside scoop you need to succeed. Till then.